listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. When someone asks, are you a Christian? What does that mean? It means that I guess I've been saved. But there are a lot of metaphors that scripture uses to talk about that phenomenon of becoming a child of God. In fact, becoming a child of God is, is a metaphor itself. The most common one, I guess, is just salvation. And there are a lot of cognates, I guess, to salvation. I've, I've been redeemed. I've been regenerated. Maybe one of the most common that we talk about is been born again. It's interesting, though, that being born again is only referenced once in Scripture. That's in John chapter 3. And even there, ironically, being born again is really Nicodemus's misunderstanding of Jesus. Jesus is like, I thought you were a teacher. I'm speaking metaphorically here. I'm not saying to be reborn physically. You've been born. I'm saying you must now be born a second time. You must be born from above. There are other metaphors uh, that are used in Scripture as well, besides being born again or being saved. Paul will say we are new creatures. And in another time, Paul will refer to us as jars of clay. But one of my favorite metaphors used in Scripture to talk about what it means when God redeems us or saves us or regenerates us, when God makes us new, is the metaphor of adoption. It's used throughout Scripture. It's used by the prophets. They speak of Israel being adopted. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel says that God saw the Hebrews kind of as babies, kind of just being born, and God heard their cry, and and God chose them. Uh, The whole idea of Abraham, I mean, Abraham wasn't born a Hebrew. Abraham wasn't born an Israelite or a Jew, but Abraham was chosen. And then Abraham's kind of descendants become, become Israel, become the Jews. But you see, Part of Paul's argument, um, part of his, his belief that we are justified by faith, his belief that this is not just for some particular ethnic group that by blood kind of descended from Abraham, but this is kind of broader, that this includes everyone, that, that this is about the work of God kind of adopting us, and not just us, but kind of all of creation into the family. This is the imagery. He uses it multiple places, but he uses it in Romans chapter 8, which is our epistle passage for today. So I'd like for you to listen. Listen to this passage, and then I'm going to come back and kind of talk more about what it means to be adopted, to receive the spirit of adoption. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pain of childbirth right up the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our, for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So our scripture reader for today was my daughter, Carly Waddell. She and her sister Cecily uh, were adopted into our family. We became an adopted family. I mean, before that, I guess we were a foster family. And that's exactly how we like to think about it. It wasn't that we were a family who had foster daughters. But once they came to live with us, we, our whole family became a foster family. And then once we saw the judge and once it became legal, we became an adopted family. It affects all of us, not just the folks who are kind of new into the community or new into the family, but the whole family is, is transformed. We're bigger. There's, there's more of us. And our personalities are now more diverse, and our backgrounds are also kind of more diverse. And Paul talks about us receiving this kind of spirit of adoption. And then later on, he talks about how creation itself has been waiting for this, this event to take place in the future. And he talks about how all of us, creation and, and everyone, kind of will will receive this adoption kind of in the end. And that, that time between this kind of promise of the spirit of adoption and this kind of finalizing the adoption seems to also work when I think about what it means to be Christian. You see, 
We were all kind of born naturally into a family. But our natural birth into a family is not a spiritual or second birth, to quote the Gospel of John, into the family of God. It's the, it's the birth of water. It's not the birth of the Spirit. And it's that birth of the Spirit, then, that no matter who we are, Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, Paul will say in Galatians, and he also says that in Colossians, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul makes this point, and it's a point that he makes particularly to his, his Jewish, kind of ethnically, brothers and sisters, that we are not justified by birth, that we're not simply uh, part of the people of God because our mom and dad were Jewish and their mom and dad were Jewish, and so on and so forth, back and back and back, because eventually, Paul will say, and he kind of makes this argument earlier in Romans, in Romans chapter 4, we get back to Abraham, and we can't say that, that Abraham was, was justified by birth, that he was just part of the family. Abraham was justified by faith. And if Abraham was justified by faith, Paul then makes the argument that that's then how we are all justified. And if we are all justified by faith, then this is not a promise that's restricted just to the Jews, but it's inclusive of the Greeks, of the Gentiles as well. So if we back up even further in this epistle, Paul will say at the very beginning, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Now his statement there, first to the Jew and then to the Greek, is not like a statement of hierarchy. It's not like first to the Jew, and then we also have these second-class citizens, you know, these, they're not like the rest of us, but, you know, they get to come. You know, they get to eat at the table. They get to visit on holidays. No, it's chronological that salvation has come first to the Jew and then to the Greek, and now that it's come to both, it has come to all. And so that now the people of God, are Jew and Greek. And that kind of then includes everyone, all the Jewish people and all the Gentile people, that that's what the family of God is made out of. And later in Romans chapter 11, he'll use a different metaphor. He uses the metaphor of a tree and how he says initially there was this branch, we'll call it, you know, the Jews, but it gets cut off. And a new branch gets grafted in. We'll call that one the Gentiles. So we see that the Gentiles obviously weren't born as part of this family, but they've, they've been made a part of the family, right? They've been adopted. But then Paul says, well, God's not going to forsake the Jews. God's going to be faithful to his covenant. So he takes those who had been cut off and he grafts them into the tree as well. So we end up with this tree that has these two wonderfully grafted in branches that includes this whole group. So just like he said in chapter one, it, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the power of God and salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. He then ends with these two groups, both being grafted in. It's a beautiful image. And I think there's ways in which we can tease this metaphor out even more. Because the families that we are born into are kind of natural or the flesh, 
Paul will talk about sometimes, comes with all sorts of, of challenges and hardships. And being adopted into the family of God means, means kind of all these things. We get a new name. We have, we have a father who kind of loves us and cares for us. We have our elder brother, Jesus, and we have this extended family that goes kind of on and on and on and on. The church has often used this imagery of the family of God to talk about the people of God. And, and we see it expressed in different ways. You know, in the old monasteries or even in contemporary monasteries, the monks would sometimes be called brother. Or in, in uh, convents, uh, the nuns are called sister. Or ministers, in a lot of traditions, Orthodox and Catholic and Anglican and Episcopal, the minister is called father. Or we're all very fond of uh, Mother, Mother Teresa, right, who was a nun. In fact, our opening statement, the, the, um, as you see, Love and Be Loved, it's a part of this series, and you have Michelangelo's kind of Sistine Chapel, and it has those images. The words that are being said there about love and about love that needs to be lived and um, kind of robust, that is a quote from Mother Teresa. And she is a mother. She's our mother. She's, she's one of our mothers. She's in this, this family that we have. There are some churches, uh, church traditions that I've, I've been familiar with over the years. They have a role in the church. They're called the mothers of the church. And they're women, uh, often uh, a little more senior, uh, more elderly. And they kind of play this kind of very respectful role. They kind of keep the children in check, and sometimes keep the minister in check, right? It takes a village. Kind of growing up, you've, you've heard me speak of this before, growing up in my Appalachian Pentecostal church, but we always kind of called the folks at church brother and sister. In fact, even at Southeastern, where I work, I'll sometimes run into um, some alumni, and they'll talk about my colleagues some of them who have now retired, and they'll reference them as brother so-and-so or as sister so-and-so. You know, they'll call them by their, by their name, like, like Sister White or Brother Fetke or Brother Newman. Those are actual names. They were not changed to protect the innocent. Uh, I use their names there. But that's, that's part of the family that we're in. And as those, those of us who have kind of participated in, in this uh, adoption, who have become adopted families, one of the things we learn is, is that it's not, it's not, um, it's not always uh, you know, smooth and easy. Like, it takes work. It takes effort. Because you have to get used to the new way of being. I can think of uh, several examples of, of my own daughters, uh, Cecily and Carly. One time we were introducing uh, Cecily to her paternal uh, bio-grandmom. And, and, and the woman kind of said, you, sh you should call me Nana. And, and Cecily was like, no, I don't think so. I, I have a Nana. Because that's the name that we use for Angela's mom. What's interesting is, you know, Angela's mom uh, passed away a number of years ago. I mean, before Cecily was even born. But she is part of our family. And so now when we speak of Nana, that's her Nana. 
And so this other woman who was saying, you can call me by this, that didn't sit well with her. And so she said, well, what if you just call me Nana? And she kind of said her first name. And Cecily thought for a minute and she's like, no. And then she offered this explanation. She's like, before when I called you Nana, I didn't know who my family was, my forever family, my true family. But now I know. And we have a Nana. And so I can't, I can't call you that. And, and that's, a, that's a beautiful story, I think. It means that, like Jesus said in the Gospels, the, the church, the gospel, forms a family. Like, I think of my fellow brothers and sisters at Oasis as my family. It's, and sometimes we refer to that as our Oasis family. And we can go other places and we can visit, but that's not the same thing as, as coming to the table, as experiencing family life together. And so there are lots of ways in which we live out this Christian life. And we can think about them kind of you know, evangelistically kind of telling people about the, about the life of Jesus and about his death and resurrection and about the way in which God loves them. But I want you to think about it like this. There is but one God, and he is the creator and the father of us all. And other folk who perhaps have yet to kind of receive that spirit of adoption. They're, they're in the world, and they're kind of just experiencing their birth family. But God is kind of calling us to participate in this kind of foster care system, to kind of reach out to them and to let them know that they're not alone and that they have a father and that they need to come and be and live this life a part of this family. I, I think in, in certain ways of the church as kind of God's foster care program. And we come into the church and we receive this spirit of adoption. And then all of us who have received that spirit of adoption are kind of waiting for a, for a final day when we will face the judge. You, you've heard ministers speak of this all your life, I imagine, that there is a judgment. But at the judgment, we're seeing the judge because we're going to get our new name, because we're going to be forever part of God's family. And I think there are ways in which we can take now that reality and kind of flip it on its head a bit. So in think, instead of thinking about adoption as a metaphor for the spiritual reality of being a Christian, let's imagine for a second that the true reality, what's really real, is the spiritual reality and that we are adopted. We are part of that family. And now use it as a metaphor for how we should behave in the world. James, the brother of Jesus, will say in his letter that the true religion 
is caring for widows and orphans. Jesus will say in the Gospels, he'll take a child and he'll say, such is the kingdom of God. You know, he'll say, even if you cause, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and you'd be cast into the sea. Like, it's these little ones that are the most precious. And so what if we believed, we truly believed that God's our Father, just as we pray our Father who art in heaven, that Jesus, his Son, is our Lord and Savior, our, and we are joint heirs with him of the kingdom, and that that reality now sets an example for how we should live our physical, earthly lives. It would call us, I believe, to actively engage in the foster care system that we see, that somehow we can care for, particularly these children. Now, as I said before, I really do think it takes a village, and I don't think that every single family is going to foster or adopt. Now, we do have a lot of families um, in Oasis who are foster families. We have families who have adopted kind of through foster care or are adopted through orphanages or, or other avenues. And we also have folks, and I know this personally, who have come alongside our adopted family and have served kind of as extended adopted families. Um, uh, Bev Lamp and um, Leslie and Wayne Howard, in particular, spend a lot of time with our youngest girls, with Madeline and Cecily and Carly. And it's great. It's, it's like, it's like they're extended family. So, so perhaps you or your family might not kind of be the adoptive family, but you can kind of be the extended adoptive family. You might not be the foster family, but you can be the extended foster family. There, there are ways in which we can all be involved in kind of practicing physically and earthly what I believe is really taking place in the ultimate reality of the spiritual realm. One of the ways that you might do this, and we've talked about it before, there is a volunteer system called Guardian at Lightum, and it's a wonderful system. Uh, Angela's been one for, I don't know, 12 or 13 years now. And we have other members of our community who also do this, and, and Alan Pena, um, one of our family members here, uh, is an attorney who works with the Guardian uh, at Lightum system. And I want you to listen to a conversation they recently had about doing just that. And as you listen, I want you to think that, that there, this might be a very practical way in which you can kind of live out your Christian life. I'm not saying this is the only way. Obviously, there's various ways that we do this, and we've, we've talked about a lot of them before. Feeding the hungry, like volunteering at Blessing and Hope, or, or visiting the jail or the prison, like like Ted and Carolyn Smith have done for years and years, or, or finding other avenues to kind of advocate um, for those who are disadvantaged, um, standing up against injustice and, and, and those sorts of things. But this is, this is a good way, and it's a practical way. And I think it speaks to this reality, 
that God is our Father and that God loves us and that we can cry, Abba, Father, because we have been adopted and that um, we don't have to fear and that this is forever. Let's listen to hear more about the Guardian Ad Litem system. Hello, Oasis. We'd like to talk to you today about um, some participants in our foster system. We have um, foster parents, adoptive parents, and guardian ad litems. And I've been a guardian ad litem for 12 years now, and it's a program that I, I love, and we wanted to share that with you today. First, I want to introduce the people who are going to um, talk with us today. So, Alan, would you go ahead and start and tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. Thank you, Angela. Um, so my name is Alan Pena. I'm an attorney. Um, I work for the uh, Guardian Ad Litem program. Um, my role is to really represent the guardians at Litem in court. That's pretty much my role. I'm the, I kind of do the legal side of it. Fantastic. Caroline, would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Caroline Mendez. Um, I am a guardian ad litem here in Polk County. I have been volunteering in this role for about two years now. All right. Robin and Brittany, would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Robin Grimes. This is Brittany Roberts. We're foster parents for um, about seven years. And Stetson and Bethany. Hello, I'm Stetson Glass, and um, my wife and I, Bethany, have um, four children, two sets of twins, that you've probably seen running around the church if you've been there. <laughs> and uh, we've had them for three and a half years, and uh, they, we just finalized our adoption in May. So... Um, I'm Bethany Glass, um, and like you said, we've got um, actually two sets of twins. They're 10 months apart. They're a sibling group, so we've got two four-year-olds and two five-year-olds. So if you hear Power Rangers in the background, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Alan, would you tell us exactly um, what the Guardian at Leiden program is and what its volunteers do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Guardian at Leiden program arose out of a need to advocate for children, and especially when uh, they're in the what's called the dependency system. So it's basically the foster care system. Guardians at Leiden, what we do is we advocate for their best interest, for basically their voice in court. The volunteers go and visit the children once a month. They try to understand what their needs are. We don't represent the child directly. We represent what's called the child's best interest. Um, also, we are guardians ad litem, and the ad litem is Latin for limited. Uh, which means that we do advocate for their for their wishes and for their best interests in court, and we speak on their behalf, uh, but we do not act on their behalf. We just speak to the court on their behalf and try to make sure that their their wishes are met. Fantastic, Caroline, would you share with us some of your experiences as a guardian ad litem? Sure. Well, like Alan was saying, if this is something that you're interested in, the the time commitment on your end as a volunteer is really not. It's very manageable. Um, I work, I have two young kids and it's really, you know, the, the, the time it's not, it's not overwhelming as a busy person to be able to just check in easily. And, um, yeah, so. I know my experience as a guardian, I feel like, um, every time that I report back to the court that, uh, the judge listens to me, even sometimes above the other people in the room, the other lawyers and case managers, because, the judge knows that I have the the interest, you know, the best interest of the child, and I feel like my impact is so much greater than the little bit of time I spend each month doing it. Also, if you are interested in volunteering, 
but um, can't go to court during the day, um, you can do your report and they can send someone to the court for you. So don't let that be a hindrance to um, being a guardian. Uh, Robin and Brittany are foster parents and they fostered over 40 children. Can you all talk to us about your experience as a foster parent in relationship to guardian at litems? Can you kind of speak to both of those issues? Well, it, it can be a very tough situation to go through. And then other times, you know, it can be very smooth and everything can go the way that you want it to go. I don't think that I could say we had a poor experience with the guardian ad litem's office. No. Um, most of the ones that we have um, experienced have listened to us. They hear us out. They do go and speak on behalf of the children in court. But, you know, it's just, it, it, it can be tough. And I know people ask us all the time, how do you do that? How do you foster? I don't think I could do that because, you know, getting so attached to the kids and letting them go back home would be so difficult. And my answer is always, it absolutely can be difficult. It, it really can. But, you know, it, it, it has its good and it has its bad. Uh, Bethany, um, can you talk to us a little about your experience? Yeah. So um, the biological mother of our kids, um, she was actually um, a product of the system. She ended up getting pregnant with twins. And so then she ended up getting pregnant again right back to back. And there was a woman at our church at the time who would end up bringing her. And so from the time that we met these children, we just loved them and we saw them on a Sunday basis weekly. And so we took them right away and they became ours instantly. But um, the guardian of the litem was huge for our case when we would go to our judicial reviews and was that voice for us. Um, you know, the state has the paid caseworkers, but we have the volunteers and that's who we really cling on to. So, I mean, it's vital for, for our case and getting it closed eventually. So, um, I mean, we can't, we couldn't be more thankful for the guardian lighting program. And Stetson, can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Yeah. With the bio parents, there wasn't really um, a path towards a healthy change in lifestyle or transformation that could lead to reunification. Um, but I would say that guardian ad litems are crucial to the full narrative being played out in front of the, those who are not uh, involved on an active daily basis. Um, the kids saw the guardian ad litem more than they saw the caseworker. So as a result, the guardian ad litem was just was crucial, was present, she was instrumental in, in everything. I wanted to add that my next door neighbor created the organization called ECHO. And they always want volunteers like to help sort and to help like with their distribution center. They're always looking for people and for donations. So I think that would be, I could send you sure. the link. To yeah, it would be great actually if you would do that. Sure. Um, something that Angela I wanted to throw out is that recently Heartland started a program called Foster Friends. So for people that might be interested in fostering but aren't ready to jump right in there, Right. Um, they can become foster friends, so they get background checks. They, get, they go through very minimal training, but then there are people that foster parents can call on, maybe give them an idea of, yeah, I can, I can go through with this, and we can foster, or no, fostering is not for us. We'll just stay as foster friends and help any way we can. That's fantastic. I didn't know about that. That's great. Um, if you're interested in becoming a guardian at Lightem, there will be information in the chat on both Facebook and YouTube. Um, right now, with the Guardian at Litem training, it is all virtual, so you would be able to do that via Zoom or some other format. So if you have any other questions, you can email me at awadell at oasischurch.org. And we have lots, actually, more Oasians who, uh, who are Guardian at Litems, who foster and, and who have adopted. So 
Um, if it is something you're interested in, please either leave us a chat or email me because we, we can get you connected with people um, who you can start the training. Or if you just want to talk to one of our Oasis family about their experience, then I'm sure they would be willing to do that as well. So thank you all so much for joining me and thank you, Oasis. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.